Hi everyone, it's Maria Recruit here from All Things Real Estate. How are you today? It's uh, September the 10th, 2020, and we're still being affected by COVID-19. So it puts a little spin on all the real estate businesses around the world. Uh, in the United States, they've stopped the evictions completely. Uh, Canada, in Ontario, they started to evict uh, very, very slowly. But the Land and Tenant Board itself, uh, the building itself, and the physical uh, meetings are not being held uh, at the Land and Tenant Board. They're doing it online. And it's a very, very slow process. So the more information we can get, the more we understand about our rights, obligations, the more we can understand if this is the type of business we want to be in, which is owning real estate. It's a tough time for real estate investors because many of you I um, may not be getting paid and have not been getting paid. For some of you, it's over a year, which is just such a disaster. But today we're going to be talking about how to hire the right contractors that will deliver and they won't start a project and leave us in the middle of it, which I hear so many investors and landlords telling me this is going on. So it's my pleasure to have Scott come on again. Hi, Scott. So nice to have you join us again. And we're going to be talking about hiring the right contractor for your properties. So Scott, nice to see you again. Thank you very much, Maria. Yes, it's uh, uh, quite a quite a pleasure. I think we're into about week uh, 20 that I've been on your uh, <laughs> your show so thank you very much for having me my pleasure it's always a pleasure having you and uh, you know you put a different spin on things because your background is not only as a paralegal and as a paralegal mentor that works with landlords and uh, lawyers I'm sorry tenants and sorry none none of the above with lawyers and paralegals but also you were the insurance business which helps us when it comes to the contractors you know you uh, were very much involved with that association so I'm looking to you to help us out with the landlords who may be hiring contractors what should they be looking out for Scott yeah thank you so yeah my uh, prior experience um, as a insurance broker and that was in commercial insurance um, about 80% of my clients at that time were contractors and then another 80% of that 80% were uh, focused in the, the green trade. So property maintenance, you know, the, uh, the landscapers, arborists and so forth that would take care of the exterior of uh, properties, but also had uh, janitorial contractors, those that would be taking care of the, uh, of the interior. And of course, your uh, uh, construction renovation contractors were uh, quite, uh, quite common. The, um, the history that I have dealing with those. And it's certainly uh, uh, interesting, you know, I've, I've seen both sides of it working again in the insurance business where the majority of my clients were on the contractor side, but having to help them come together and work with those in the, uh, the real estate profession um, to come up with mutual agreements and arrangements, all of it about controlling uh, the risks of, you know, what can go wrong either in a, a renovation project or in a maintenance uh, the performance of your uh, routine ongoing maintenance. Sure. And you know what? I've had so many landlords complain to me that they hired a contractor, they took their money and left them high and dry. And they had projects half finished, some of them up to six months. So we need to know from you how to protect ourselves. It's really, this is ongoing now because more and more people who are unemployed call themselves, you know, contractors or handymen. And they know nothing about anything. They just know how to take money out of people's hands. And that that is a tragedy 
need because landlords are small business people, Scott, as you know, right? And not all of them have a business sense about them. Like you don't pay somebody before they do a job. I mean, that's unheard of. If they say they need money for materials, then you go to the store with them and you pay for the materials and let them carry it out to the car and carry it to your home, right? Or deliver it. If you don't trust well, them, you ask them to deliver that. Yeah, so the, the kind of problems that uh, um, you're hinting at and suggesting that uh, landlords will be complaining about, these are the sorts of things that tend to come up when you are uh, getting involved with the, the fly-by-nighters, those that, you know, they, they show up, it's a, a one-man operation uh, or woman operating out of a pickup truck that's pretty much rusted through and there's no <laughs> signage on the pickup truck. You know, you ask for a business card and it's got a post office box or something, uh, if they even have a, a business card. So let, let's start there and talk about the clues. And yes. I know uh, some contractors are not going to like what I'm going to, uh, some of what I'm going to suggest, um, because it suggests that the person that's just starting out or having a smaller operation is going to have difficulty being recognized as somebody that's not going to take your deposit money and skip town. Mm -hmm. um, but that, you know, that, that, that's an unfortunate situation and it is what it is. So what a property owner needs to look at is first of all, they need to look at themselves and before pointing their fingers at, uh, uh, you know, a contractor that is going to take the uh, the deposit and skip town, they need to sit there and say to themselves, why in the world did I even get uh, involved with somebody who operates on such a um, small scale uh, to begin with? You know, that doesn't happen when you call up a contractor, and I'm going to use landscape maintenance uh, as the example here. If you call up some, you know, some guy who's, um you know, just going to show up in a rusted out pickup truck with the lawnmower that he had to put in the back of a pickup truck. And, you know, this guy wants a, a deposit, you know, 50% up front or whatever it is. And he says he's going to come and he's going to perform the maintenance, uh, the lawn maintenance for the season. Well, that's your first hint that mm -hmm. this guy probably, you know, um, as much as being a hardworking uh, uh, person, let's uh, presume, um, you know, th there is certainly some signs there that this is a fly-by-night type operation. When you pick up the phone or, you know, you, you, you Google search and you, you find a, an attractive website or you, you pick up the old-fashioned yellow pages and you see somebody that has an ad and then you find out it's a, a contractor, you know, it's five or six trucks, um, you know, a, a crew, people who will show up and they actually have a uniform. There's... Uh, something painted or decaled on the side of the truck. Um, there's an actual mailing location. Now you know you're dealing with a business that has invested in being in business. They're not just essentially trying to run around, scoop up a bunch of deposits, and then move to Timbuktu. And that they're here, they're in town, they're established. They're probably not going to fold up in the uh, in the night. You know, any business can run into difficulties. But uh, certainly weaning it out and figuring out who is the more likely to disappear in the night with your deposit monies, a business that's been around for a while. And as I say, the clues that I gave you just a moment ago, and we're going to get into a few others here in a minute, yep. or the guy with the pickup truck that doesn't even have his name on the side of it. Yeah. 
Yeah, but having said that, I'm going to tell you something. Myself, my dad was a handyman and he owned real estate. And so, and, and I've been able to find even handymen that don't have a card or anything, but they did a good job for me. But the clue was they never asked me for money up front. They, I paid them once the job was done. So I felt quite comfortable with that, right? But I, but I know from my father how to choose the right people and, and being in business myself and being a businesswoman and having uh, hired contractors myself for my business in New York City um, and also being a, a, a business development consultant, I've hired people. I know what to look for. But I've been in business since 1982, Scott, which helps a lot, right? Understanding about business. But when you're just starting out and you're an employee and you bought your first house and you don't know anything about business because being an employee is not the same as having your own business as you know Scott because you've had your business own business for years that's the one that I worry about because I mean I, I the guy that does my repairs I, he doesn't have a car I just know him I met but how did I find about him through another landlord that uses him all the time so I knew who he was to be given. I don't go and pick up the yellow pages. I don't I, I don't look online to find people. I go and find out from somebody else that I trust who they've used and then I start using them. That's how I do it. So it, it also depends on what risk you're evaluating and taking into concern. If you're yeah. looking for, you know, the handyman that's going to clean out your eaves troughs and do some uh, uh, light duty work around a, a property and your risk that you're concerned about is that somebody might disappear with uh, your deposit money, then certainly, you know, uh, hiring, you know, pretty much anybody that's going to be a hard worker, they're not asking for the money up front. Um, there's safety and security in that. There's no risk that they're going to disappear with your deposit money if you don't uh, provide them with the deposit. The um, the other concern, though, that I, I, I would add, and not to contradict uh, uh, your, your view on this, mm -hmm. is what about the liability risks when yes. uh, you yes. do hire a contractor? So these these fly-by-nighters that uh, uh, may be out there, um, they won't be carrying the general liability insurance. They probably yep. don't have workers' compensation in place. So there's the, the concern that what if they cause an injury to a third party while they're working or as a result of their work? That's yeah. a biggie as we uh, uh, looked ahead into the, the winter time and the potential for slip and fall. And I'll come back to that uh, a little later on in the, uh, uh, in the discussion. Yeah. But then there's also the, the concern about their own uh, injury. You know, somebody that's uh, a handyman that's up a ladder cleaning out the eaves troughs, mm -hmm. doesn't have any WSIB uh, workers' compensation for those outside of Ontario or WSIB here in uh, Ontario, as we would refer to it. They fall off the ladder. They suffer some sort of an injury. Um, are they going to bring uh, legal action against the uh, uh, the property owner? And yes, all good points. Absolutely, Scott. Absolutely, something to be aware of. Absolutely, yeah. So that brings us to to sort of the the, the checklist, the administrative checklist of what should a property owner be checking to make sure in addition that, you know, as I say, the, the signs that you're dealing with an established business that we summed up a minute ago, but what other administrative things should a property owner be looking for? 
So when you're hiring a contractor asking for liability insurance and commercial general liability is what it's typically referred to as, it probably comes with a bunch of other coverages as part of an overall policy, but it's the commercial general liability that, uh, or CGL is the abbreviation that's commonly referred to. And that is the coverage that a business such as a contracting business would have in place that if they cause injury to somebody other than themselves, that again is workers' compensation if they hurt themselves, but if they cause injury to somebody other than themselves, whether it's their customer, whether it's just a pedestrian that happens to be walking by on the street or even a guest at the property, the, the contractor carrying their general liability insurance will enable the property owner or the insurer of the property to go after the liability insurance or actually the contractor who will then report the matter to their own liability insurance. So mm -hmm. that, you know, it, it's sort of a no brainer and that uh, there shouldn't be too many people thinking that this is a new original idea. The uh, points though, that may be a bit of a new original idea for many, and you and I summed this up uh, in a show about 10 to 15 weeks ago, would be to ask not only do you have insurance, but then a certificate to prove it. So mm -hmm. just because he nods and says, yeah, I have insurance doesn't mean, you know, um, that's the end of what a property owner should be, uh, should be doing. At that point, they want to say, okay, well, I need a copy of a certificate of insurance, not a copy of the policy document, okay. a certificate of insurance, um, and on that certificate, naming the property owner as what's called an additional insured, um, having a notice provision or a notice clause put in there that if that policy gets canceled, you know, let's say right now in September, you start trying to hire winter contractors that are going to do your snow plowing from November 1st till April. Um, you want to know if that contractor has his insurance canceled in December. You want to get notice of that. Yeah, good point. So by having that certificate of insurance with the notice clause in it and the landlord named as an additional insured, the insurer then has a obligation to endeavor to notify the landlord, hey, that insurance certificate that we provided for you on behalf mm -hmm. of Joe Contracting a few months ago, well, that's now just a scrap piece of paper. It's worthless. The information on it is no longer uh, no longer valid because that policy is now canceled um, subsequent to when we issued that document a few months ago. And that's something that so many uh, property owners, even sophisticated property owners, uh, large property management companies will sometimes uh, um, miss and forget. They just, you know, do you have insurance? And they get a photocopy of somebody's policy document from when the policy actually renewed means nothing as to whether that policy remained active after the renewal date. Yeah. Yes, for sure, for sure. Good point, you know, and and you're right because people get, um, uh, they, we're, we're getting that mixed up because you posted that on my Ontario Landlords Association uh, Facebook page and you could see people were getting the two things mixed up. And then they said Correct. that their insurance, they said their insurance agent didn't know anything about this. Well, <laughs> it's pretty scary. Pretty scary. 
that that was extremely scary. If if you are dealing with an insurance agent that doesn't know what a certificate of insurance is, doesn't know what additional insured is, and doesn't know what a notice clause is, you're probably dealing with somebody that spends ninety five percent of their day dealing with home and auto insurance rather than business insurance. Yes. Um, an insurance agent or broker that focuses on commercial risks, um, in particularly contractors, um, this is going to be something that, you know, they, they know in their sleep. Um, when yeah. I was in the business and when I was dealing with uh, uh, landscapers, I had a, a, an administrative staff of people that that was their job was to issue certificates. And because of the seasonal nature of uh, the landscape uh, business um, during March and April, uh, we'd actually have six people issuing the certificates for the landscape clients um, that the, uh, the firm handled um, just as confirmations to property owners and property management companies that, yes, I bid on this contract. You've given me this contract and here's the proof of the insurance that I promised you I would provide you by the start date of April the 1st of whatever the start date was in the, in the contract. So, you know, any sophisticated commercial insurance uh, uh, operation, these certificates of insurance are going to be no-brainers to them. They do it all day. That's, you know what, thank you for explaining that. And that brings me up to another point, and you and I spoke about this, that people that have real estate and are renting it out should be getting commercial policies not residential. And I know a lot of people are looking at this and saying, well, I want to cut down on my insurance. And, you know, that's one of the problems that I see is that if you don't have property insurance, you won't get, you won't get covered properly. So it's not a, a matter of money because it's not going to cost that much more. It's a matter of what you're being insured for. So when a disaster happens, it's not going to say to you, oh, you weren't covered for that. And so I wasted all this money. I prefer them saying, you know, Maria is going to cost you this. And we're going to add this because you, this may happen to you. And it's a commercial. Of course, I only have commercial with my properties. And, and mm -hmm. that's what it should be. I mean, after all, both you and I were saying real estate is a business. And why would you get residential insurance on a student rental or let's say a, a rent to own or, or many other types of, uh, you know, rentals that you're like apartment buildings don't get residential insurance. They get commercial. A duplex should have a commercial. A triplex should have a commercial. Mm -hmm. And even my single family dwellings, they have commercial insurance on there. Yeah. Now, a single family dwelling where the landlord's living upstairs and yeah. renting a basement apartment, um, and that's the only one residence, um, or, you know, it's a one unit landlord, as I say, with the basement apartment rental. I can see it happening in that situation. But, Maria, I agree with you completely. The moment, you know, you're dealing with, you know, um, multiple properties, uh, if you have a triplex somewhere, mm -hmm. whatever, these things need proper commercial insurance. Um, and, you know, the way that you structure that, obviously your insurance broker is going to advise on what's the best uh, arrangement for that. But put your trust in your broker. And if you don't trust your broker, then you better find another one. Um, yeah. A broker is a, a key part of your support system. Um, and there's too many people that I think treat insurance as a commodity. It's not a chocolate bar in the checkout aisle at the grocery store. <laughs> and you use that as the last point. And you know, I'm going to ask you a question now. Can you explain to our members again the difference between an agent and a broker? 
just like you know just just like you would that if you wanted to um, get um, a mortgage there's a difference between a broker finding you that and you know a mortgage so can you explain to us for insurance what's the difference between an agent and a broker yeah that's actually a, an excellent question so an agent is somebody who is an actual employee of the insurance company that they represent um, they might not be say what a direct employee and that but they do have a direct relationship with the insurance company and they're usually going to have an exclusive arrangement with that insurance company as well so when you go to that agent and say hey i need insurance that agent's going to reach behind them grab a book off the shelf in my old days uh, <laughs> truly in these days they're going to just look at the computer but they're going to have one company that they represent and that's the company that employs them yeah. so when you go to the agent and say hey i need help on such and such insurance well that agent has one option to try to sell you and they are also um, subject to their fiduciary obligations to their employer being that insurance company. So their, their primary duties are to serve the insurer rather than the insured. Now, when you go to a broker, the broker is going to be somebody who operates independently they are not tied to any one particular insurance company. They're going to turn around again, hypothetically, in my old uh, uh, old days, I would turn around at my desk and I'd have a shelf full of different uh, books from different insurance companies on what uh, they uh, would write, which is insurance lingo for what risks or what clients they would be willing to take on, what was the criteria and what the ratings were and so forth. So, now, when you go to a broker, you have somebody that's going to essentially shop the marketplace or at least the markets that they have available to them. ABC Insurance Company, XYZ Insurance Company, and you know 15 to 20 others in between, um, rather than just turn around and have one company that they're going to be uh, uh, representing. And of course, their, their obligations and their duties are owed a little more strongly to their employer, that one company, um, than to the client. Yes. So I, I believe very much uh, in the, the broker system in that a broker's primary obligations uh, and duties are going to be to serve their client's interest before the company's interest. Now, it doesn't mean they can lie to either. They can't lie to the insurance company on behalf of the, the client. But, uh, um, you know, we'll, we'll call it leaning 5149 if a uh, awkward situation comes up and which way the uh, the broker has to uh, uh, lean should be in favor of the actual client in, in mm -hmm. situation. Yes. Yeah, but I always, yeah, it is a good question because not many people know the difference. And that's why if, if uh, and we could see our members of the Ontario Landlords Association were kind of confused because I don't think they know the difference between an agent and a broker. And that is very key. I mean, I was very lucky. I started off with my with my insurance companies uh, 20 years ago when I was starting to buy real estate that I went directly to a broker. Actually, they came to me. Because I was uh, starting my bed and breakfast association, my bed and breakfast association, but also my bed and breakfast properties and cottage rental. And uh, of course, I had to get insurance. And not many insurance companies or brokers were handling that. 
And mm-hmm. so I found my broker at an event that was catering to the bed and breakfast owners. So there it was, the right person at the right time, right? Otherwise, I probably would have just been just as ignorant as everyone else. And probably if I had gone to an insurance agent and asked them, okay, so I have a bed and breakfast, will you insure me? They, they might have said, no, we're not. We don't do that. So I was very fortunate that I I keep my eyes and ears open all the time to find out what's really going on, you know? Yeah. Well, again, that was a, an excellent question. Difference between an agent and a broker. Hopefully, your viewers uh, and the members uh, uh, know now. If not, uh, we'll have to try to explain another a little time. Bit another time. I think you really. I think you explained it. You hit it right on the the nail now. And of course, repetition is the best way of learning something, right? So now we're going to jump into the contractors. We'll probably touch on you know on this a little bit more in October, November. But can you touch a little bit on the contractors that will be doing the snow plowing? You know that maybe some of our members have larger pieces of properties or have multiplexes. Can you explain that to us, please? Yeah, so when we talk about uh, snow contracts and what a a property manager or property owner should be uh, um, looking to do when they're hiring a a contractor, again, all the things we talked about a few minutes ago with avoiding the fly-by-nighters, making sure you're getting the certificate of insurance with the added criteria that we talked about a couple moments ago. But when you get into the contract, what uh, typically uh, goes on is there's – one side of the table or the other, so either the contractor or the property manager or property owner um, has a bit more power than the other. And, you know, if you're a small contractor with some of the clients that I used to deal with and you were negotiating, say, with the property management company like Cadillac Fairview, well, the power imbalance there was just completely um, obvious. And the contractor would quite often sign his life away with the property owner, the property manager, um, using their power to uh, to gain you know, somewhat of an um, unfair advantage in the negotiation. And I'm not talking about price. I'm going to get to that in a second, what I am actually uh, referring to. But it can also happen you know, vice versa as well. When you have a smaller landlord, just one or two properties or um, so forth, and you're, the small landlord is the... Um, lesser sophisticated when it comes to negotiating uh, seasonal contracts, especially during the winter, that can pose problems too as well, where the contractor now seems to have the power uh, imbalance, um, or at least in the knowledge of what they're doing and the things that the property owner needs to be watching out for. So a fair uh, sit down um, between a property owner and a contractor, they need to look at a few different things. Now, one, of course, is always going to be the cost. And that it doesn't serve anybody um, any benefit to have anything other than a win-win arrangement. A property mm-hmm. owner needs to know that the properties are going to be well taken care of and maintained, that a winter snowstorm, this contractor is going to show up, they're going to do a diligent job. And what I mean by diligent job is that they're going to clean the surfaces as best know can be done in the uh, uh, in the winter experience meaning you're not going to make it you know completely dry there's going to be residual snow and ice it's not going to look like a July day Um, but they're not going to cut corners on the salt that they're putting down 
Um, you know, if you if they're going to put down what needs to be done to try to reduce the risk of uh, anybody, the contractor or the property owner, getting dragged into a slip and fall case. Now, uh, so for that win-win situation that I'm getting at, the property owner, essentially, you need to negotiate a, a fair price. And if you're going to nickel and dime the contractor, expect that they're, during the negotiations, expect that they're going to nickel and dime you in the performance later. So, Good, then, point. Good point. Good <laughs> point. It's it is it is what it is. So yeah. you know, and and both sides have a mutual interest because both sides, if there's a slip and fall, and I'm not talking well, it could be the tenant, but it could be a guest of the tenant. It could be just you know somebody from the uh, from the public. It could be the you know the, the pizza delivery guy. The tenant orders a, a pizza, and the pizza delivery guy falls down. Yeah. And now we've got uh, somebody who's looking to make a target out of the property owner. And if they can figure out who the contractor was or the property owner is going to, you know, certainly let that cat out of the bag. Now you got the contractor and the property owner named in a slip and fall lawsuit. And if either one of them, well, if the contractor was cutting corners because the property owner uh, was nickel and diming the contractor, both of them have a liability problem. So yes. it, 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 it doesn't serve anybody to try to work out an unfair deal. Um, and it certainly doesn't help the property owner either. If that contractor is going to get to, you know, December or January, and then all of a sudden have to fold up his tent and say, well, you know, what? I'm out of business because uh, I under uh, bid my, uh, bid my work. Yeah. So having something that's going to be fair, um, because that would be disastrous for a property owner to end up in December and January, have a contractor that just went out of business, and now you need to find a replacement contractor. Mm -hmm. Yes. Contractors, they've all booked their equipment. They know what their routes need to be. And to start picking up the phone and calling up uh, contractors in January saying, hey, um, you know, my guy uh, uh, unfortunately went out of business. I have five or six locations in town, and I need you to add me to your uh, – um, to your roots, that most of the contractors are going to say, no, we're at full capacity and, you know, they, they just can't change their operations on a whim. Again, it's not a commodity. You're not buying a chocolate bar in the, gro in the uh, checkout lane at the grocery store. Yeah, good point. Good point. And then again, if I were to choose a contractor, I would go and speak to other uh, landlords and find out who they're using and who they see, you know, who has performed uh, and who is reliable. Because the other thing is that if you're hiring a contractor, like let's say for, for snow and ice, which is very dangerous, let's face it, right? Then you have to make sure who it is, whoever it is that you're hiring is going to stay true to you and will pull through. Because there's so many contractors out there that just, you know, they can walk away from you and not think twice. I mean, the ethics of business now is not the way it used to be when I was growing up. It, it, what I'm seeing now is I've never seen as much um, fraudulent activity as I have now all over the place with everything, with every, absolutely everything. So, and, and new landlords or new real estate investors should be very much aware of what could happen. So with the, uh, with, the, with the snow contractors, that again, same as what we talked about earlier, you can pretty much figure out who the, uh, the fly-by-nighters are. Mm -hmm. um, those, again, that don't have signage on the side of their, uh, their trucks. It looks like a, a pickup truck that's 
you know, should have been retired 15, 20 years ago, and they're still trying to keep it uh, on the road. And that your, your contractors that uh, have a relocation, have signage on their trucks, have newer vehicles, and those aren't cheap vehicles. You get a, 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 a large uh, engine, four by four pickup truck, throw the plow and a salter in the, uh, in the back of it. That's a $100,000 machine that's now driving around. It is. Uh, those, those aren't cheap. So the, these, these guys are investing quite uh, heavily into their, their vehicles. And if it's a larger contract company, I had some that had 50 to 100 trucks. Um, you know, you're talking $10 million just in, uh, in vehicle inventory. So uh, these, these aren't the, the fly-by-nighters that are out there. But, of course, you also don't want to cut off at the knees those smaller uh, operations out there. Like you were saying, there's handymen, uh, people that are going to be honest and good, good workers. Um, but just don't get too deep into them with deposits. Most of them will, uh, will operate on a monthly billing arrangement. And they should trust that with the property owner because they know that you're probably not going to uh, stiff them on their uh, payments during the winter season as it's going because then the contractor just walks away and you're left with, um, you know, <laughs> with no service. So when you enter into a seasonal contract, let's say November 1st to, to April the 1st or April the 15th, both sides should appreciate and understand that you need each other. The contractor mm -hmm. needs obviously to, uh, to earn a living and the property owner needs to know that the properties are going to be well maintained and, uh, and that liability risk greatly reduced. Yeah, good point, good point. So Scott, is there anything else you want to finish up this session with? Well, just, uh, and you and I have talked about this before. So in these contracts, there's quite often um, what is called a hold harmless and an indemnity agreement. And that's something that uh, property owners and property managers should be looking at carefully, discussing that with their insurance brokers or, or their lawyers. Uh, whether they should be demanding a hold harmless and indemnity agreement or if a contractor, they're the ones that want to hold harmless and an indemnity agreement back from the, uh, uh, the property owner. Get to know what these are, understand them, review them with your insurance provider and your lawyer. You and I will touch on this in, the, uh, in an episode coming up. I don't yes. want to get too deep into it today because we could do an entire show on it, but uh, it's definitely something that... Uh, uh, property owners need to understand not just with respect to um, snow plowers, but with respect to any of the contractors that they're dealing with, yeah. when they should be asking for it and when they should be willing to accept it when somebody else is asking for it, understanding again where that balance comes into play. Okay, very good. Thank you very much. Thank you for helping us out. Because I really think um, now my members understand between an agent and a broker, which is a good step forward, right? And uh, now we can we'll, be, we'll become a bit more accustomed with the contractors. So that you know, as we move along, we be you know we're getting more and more educated. I certainly am. I'm learning things that I never knew before, or I took for granted. But I want to thank you very much for again uh, spending your time with us again. I really appreciate that, Scott. So I'm going to say goodbye for now. We'll see you next week, as always, on a Thursday. Thank you. Thank you so much. See you later. Thank you. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Well, everyone, wasn't that wonderful? Here we are again. We're learning more about our insurance rights and our property rights. So I want to thank Scott for being with us. And we were discussing, you know, how to hire 
the right contractor for our property. So this is Maria Recruit with All Things Real Estate. Please do me a favor. Please sign up on the YouTube channel, Real Estate Media News Network. It's right up there. And for those who are still looking to join my mastermind group that starts this evening, September the 10th, 2020 at 8 p.m., uh, just find me on Facebook. And I'd be glad to add you to, um, we only have 10 spots. We're up to seven spots now. Looking for another three, so we'd love to have you join us. Take care now, everyone. I'll see you next Thursday, same time, same station. This is Maria Recruit, all things real estate. Ciao for now. Bye-bye.